Hello and welcome back to Over the Top Football. I am joined as ever with John. John, how are you doing today? All good, Robert. Struggling once again through the international break. Not ideal for this type of the this stage of the season to be having to try and watch international football over again. Um, maybe we'll get into that further in the podcast. But looking very much looking forward to Premier League football again this weekend. What about yourself? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's been a little bit dry in that regard, but you know, we move on to other things. I've been watching a bit of BoJack Horseman. If you've ever, if you've ever seen that, so I've been. Uh, I, I yeah. can say that I have not seen it, nor any of the listeners listening will have seen it. So you'll need to explain what that is. Oh well, that's a bit harsh. It's on Netflix. Six seasons, maybe. It's a animated comedy, which I'm probably about two or three years behind, having never watched it, but actually pretty good would recommend it's got um aaron paul in from breaking bad amongst other notable people oh, okay well maybe some people have heard it heard of it then so uh i'll need to go and have a look at it that probably ties in i mean we will we talked about doing a podcast around documentaries films football related shows that people should watch so that is coming turn your notifications on to get notified as to when that podcast will be out but do you want to go ahead and introduce what we're talking about today? Definitely. So today we are taking hot football takes. So myself and Jonathan have both written five each. And essentially, yeah, we're trying to just make somewhat controversial ones, but obviously we have to agree with them. So we believe that most people will not agree with five statements we're about to make. We'll go over each one, one by one. However, we fundamentally agree with them. That is, we as in I or John himself, we don't necessarily agree with each other's however might. So these are controversial statements that we believe are right. Obviously, that is football statements. Yes, not political ones. Yeah, we'll not get into that. Um, shall I start things off? Please do. Yeah, so my first take. I'm not the biggest Pep Guardiola fan for obvious reasons, as you would expect. And initially I had written down that Pep wouldn't have been able to do what Jurgen's done at Liverpool. But I think a lot of people sort of accept that for what it is now. So I went a step further and said that Jose Mourinho has a more impressive career than Pep Guardiola at this point. Why I say that, you look immediately at trophies won and it points to Pep, right? Jose Mourinho has won 26 trophies, Pep Guardiola has won 36. So it's difficult to argue against that stat alone. But for me, if you look at it look at look at it from a wider footballing perspective, Pep has spent 1.75 billion. Jose has spent 1.6 billion on player purchases during their entire careers. Of those 26 trophies that Jose's won, you look at the Porto Champions League win, the Porto UEFA Cup win to set it all up in the first instance, taking over at Chelsea and turning them into what they are what they have been in recent years uh the inter milan champions league win was pro pos probably a second biggest trophy in my opinion after porto and then from there the probably the most disappointing reign of his career was at madrid and then he went to united and won with a very very average team and did a, a very good job there and now i've taken roma to the europa conference league as well so he sort of won everywhere that he's been um 
he will have said that it's 26 and a half trophies that he's won because he didn't get the opportunity to play in that in that league cup final for Spurs but you look at that in comparison to Pep Guardiola's trophies that he's won he took over a Barcelona team um at that point he made you know a handful of signings that summer including PK including Dani Alves but he took over a Barcelona team that included Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, uh, Henri, Eto, Puel. These are sort of top ahead names, but took over that team, obviously won everything there was to win with that team. And, you know, Luis Enrique did a similar job at Barcelona. I know you can't really compare the styles of football between Jose and Pep in terms of Pep has a much more fluid attacking style. But if you look at the achievements between the two managers, for me, Jose has done it in tougher conditions, um, in tougher situations and with lesser squads. Even the Pep Guardiola squad at Bayern Munich, he took over a treble winning team. You look at the amount of money he's had and the players available to him at Man City. He's done an unbelievable job. That should never, ever be spoken badly of. He's an unbelievable manager. But for me, as a football fan and the the sort of emotional connection that I've had with previous Jose Mourinho teams and what he did for football in terms of press conferences and the personality that he got across. For me, Jose Mourinho's achievements as a football manager are more impressive than Pep Guardiola's. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't think that that is that hot a take. I think anyone who knows Ball knows that Pep has never managed a team like a Porto, for example, and then taking them to the success that they have. It kind of says it all that he won the UEFA League one year, UEFA Cup, and then won the Champions League the next year, which I don't think is a feat that has ever been done again. Or even necessarily anyone's got particularly close to doing that since. So that's certainly a point for Jose. The spend one, it's it's a bit of a difficult one because Guardiola has spent more of that money later. Like Jose's had a longer time and obviously Jose relatively in 2005 with his Chelsea team in that era, that was like Premier League spending like you'd never seen at that point. But even then, a £30 million player is probably a £120 million player now just because of footballflation. And yeah, I think that is has to be accounted for that. Yes, the money is similar, but actually a lot of Jose's is spent earlier and therefore actually would count for more if you inflated adjusted those but yeah I think there's a lot of good good takes and good things to come from this I think it's maybe popular to hate on Jose now that I mean his Roma side aren't having a particularly good start to the season unfortunately either but obviously he's had a couple of flop jobs I'm not a big fan of that half a point for a trophy criteria that you said I think that was deliberately trying to rile me up uh, Jose Mourinho deserved to go a long way before the final. He got lucky to even be given the chance to get there. So, yeah, I think I agree with your take here. I do think Jose Mourinho, it's more impressive what he's done, even though Guardiola may well go down as a higher rated manager. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, with Guardiola, especially after the treble winning season, people have started to say he's the greatest manager in the Premier League era. I've heard some people say that, and I simply don't. I think that's you just can't have that argument whenever you have Sir Alex Ferguson there, even as a Liverpool fan. Um, so, yeah, for me, you look at Jurgen, you look at Pep, you look at Jose, you look at you know Ancelotti, the next sort of tier down of managers, and I think it's Jose will not go down 
as fondly as the other ones because of his footballing style. But in terms of effectiveness, in terms of knowing how to navigate through a cup competition and get the best of the players that he has available to him, Jose will, in my opinion, should go down as one of the best that there's ever been. Nice. Well, I kind of agree with that. And actually, I will go on to a take I have that I think is somewhat similar uh, because it involves some of the managers we've mentioned there. And that is that when Ancelotti, Klopp and Pep have all left their posts by 2025, that is either the end of their contracts or they've pretty much agreed moves or sabbaticals or retirements, whatever it is, afterwards, there is not a manager close to that level of all three of them. Um, I think the, the possibly the one whose CV stands out as actually being yeah, close, is Zinedine Zidane. And I'm not entirely sure if he will return back to club football. I think he may well be sewn up to take the French job after Deschamps leads them, leads them at the Euros. So, yeah, I, I think there'll be a dearth of manager quality for a while. Now, obviously, that is a little unfair saying that because you have a year and a half for other managers to kind of step up and take the fold. But it kind of says a lot that a lot of Manchester City fans, a lot of pundits are saying deserve for the Manchester City job. Like if you look at the comparison of Guardiola when he came into Man City and he'd taken on some of the best teams ever, played some of the best football ever, record of trophy cabinet with yeah, so many in there that you couldn't believe. And then you look at Deserbi who I actually don't know how many trophies he has. He might have won something at Shakhtar. It really it really isn't quite comparable at all. And I think yeah, it's it's telling that the next in line for some of these roles. So uh, Ancelotti, who looks like he'll be taking the Brazil job next year. I don't know if that actually got confirmed in the end. But you have Xavi Alonso as the heir apparent at this moment in time, whose best achievement is Bayer Leverkusen winning the league after seven league games of a season. It's hardly glittering even though I think he can be really good so yeah I just don't think there's after those three leave the game or go on to their next steps I don't think there's anybody close to being close to them yeah I think that's I think that's undeniable really if you look at the managers that will be available once those managers leave a lot of the time you're betting on potential you're betting on style of play and how that would then be implemented into the clubs that we're talking about you know we talk about Xabi Alonso to Real Madrid He's probably the other name that would be thrown out if Jurgen was going to leave anytime soon. Um, him alongside maybe someone like Nagelsmann, depending on what happens with Germany this summer as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. Deserby, the comparison between his style of play and how he's brought out an attacking flair within Brighton, having previously been a defensive style of team, um, and the way in which they... Uh, implement and utilize the passing tactics within that squad is probably why he's been talked about for City but you're right there's no sort of proven world-class manager that is putting themselves front and center for any of those big jobs whenever those jobs do become available and um, I just hope fingers crossed it's it's not Southgate at the helm for Liverpool anytime soon. Yeah anyway to slam some criticism onto him but I think (laughs) <laughs> the slightly depressing thing is even Tuchel, Nagelsmann, you mentioned, there are some 
players, uh, well, there are some managers who've had their positions for a while. And yeah, I just don't think any of them are particularly close. Xavi, I think, has done some good stuff. But you're talking about three managers there. When they all move on, you're looking at, what, 60-plus trophies between them, probably. And mm. I'm not entirely sure if amongst the top five leagues, at least, there are managers with that many trophies combined between them. So it really shows you the depth of uh yeah of trophy winning in the recent years and just how good those three have been like i think all three of them are all timers yeah and i think that number 60 is probably closer to 80 or 90 even um but yeah it's it's insane the level of managers that we have in world football at the minute but you know clock and pep era it does fully compete with you know wenger and ferguson in their prime in terms of the rivalry that we've seen in the Premier League in recent seasons and the amount of points needed to win the Premier League in the last five, six, seven years has been just astronomical. So where does the Premier League go from go to, sorry, whenever Pep and Klopp leaves? Will it be close behind each other? I think Liverpool fans are sort of hoping that Pep jumps first and then Klopp might be incentivized to stay a little bit longer because that, you know, era of dominance could be over, um, especially with some of the financial fair play restrictions that are likely to be on City as well, um, as Pep's sort of Pep's contract runs soon end. So fair point. We've got three of the greatest managers to ever live currently managing, and it's where do those clubs go next? Yeah. So two hot takes into this and two agreements, and I don't like it, John. It's not the controversy that's gonna get the listeners coming back. Please give me some ridiculous take that you believe. Yeah, I threw Southgate in as a as a sort of a clue that I was going to talk about international football next, and that is exactly where I'm going. I am sick of these international football and breaks. We're it's you know it's the 17th of October, and this is the second international break of the season, and I'm absolutely fed up of it. Knowing that there's another one coming in four weeks' time is horrendous. So my one is there just should not be any international football during a season. Let the clubs manage their own players. Let them manage the players that they pay for and they pay the wages of. Let them play them from August to April, if you want, and then have an international football month in May. Or if you're going to do it in seasons where there's tournaments on in the summer, then do it in the December and take a break rather than you know have all these stop starts because... During the course of this season, the only uninterrupted months are December and April in regards to, you know, getting a fully fit and functional completed squad, which is what the August month is about because there's no international football then. But from the 1st of September, a manager gets their entire squad that they're going to be working with. They'll have some changes in January with the transfer window, but this season alone, you've got qualifiers, September, October, November, got the asian cup and the african cup of nations january through to february we've got the qualifiers again in march you then got international call-ups coming may for um the euros and whatever other tournaments are going to be happening across the globe that's going to happen in may as well so you only have your players for the entirety of december and april which is absolutely insane for players like i said you play mass you pay massive wages for um, you're supposed to have them on a daily basis to train. And if I'm someone like, you know, Jurgen Klopp, you know, Pochettino, Pep Guardiola, 
I don't want to buy world class players and then have them being coached by Gareth Southgate, you know, three weeks of every four months because that's not the coaching that I want to give them. I want to give them world class coaching, not you know, level one. So um they just need to scrap, they need to do away with international football during the season, they need to figure out a window. And by doing it, you're going to increase interest. You're going to increase ticket sales. You're going to increase, you know, we're doing this podcast when England are playing Italy. That was a Euros final a few years ago. Nobody cares. Nobody actually cares in the slightest about international football. Um, there's more of a hype around Europa League than there has been international friendlies and qualifiers. Okay. I like the spicy take. There's more, uh, there's more interest around yeah international football than the Europa League. I think that would actually be quite close. But yeah, I again I agree with this. I think it's just so depressing when you're into the season, you're into the flow of things. And also it actually leads on to one of my points next that just they're playing way too much football footballers at the minute. Like you can't just constantly have more and more and more. And potentially, if you say you played a Premier League season and it was, I don't know, it was four, six weeks shorter, but you had no international breaks and you could consolidate to play all of the international football, all of like the qualifying tournaments all at once. And then the advantage of doing that is within those international camps, you can better rest players. Where at the minute, you can't really rest a Harry Kane because you have to play him because you've not seen him for six months or however long it is since your last break. It also just means the call-ups mean more as well. I mean, how are you calling a squad up in September? They've played three games. If you do it at the end of the season, it's based on the entirety of the season and who performed for the whole season. You know, that that allows you to drop the likes of Maguire or Pickford or whoever else shouldn't be in the squad right now, in my opinion, because of poor performances rather than the fact that you see them every four weeks. Also, I mean, you can get me started why there is a requirement for home and away fixtures for qualifiers, I do not know. I do not need to see England fly out to San Marino to prove that they can beat them 8 nil. You know, they can beat them anywhere 8 nil. If you want to do it, then have it in a neutral ground somewhere for three weeks at a time, the way that you do with, you know, tournaments, if you want to do qualifiers that way. But you can do home and away fixtures based on draws, the way that they do in cup competitions. There's no requirement for home and away, home and away ties four qualifiers unnecessary football matches being played yeah fair enough and i mean i i've actually mentioned this one before as well it's harsh but i do think a san marino would be better fared in almost like a b level of qualifying like they need to qualify for the qualifiers it would keep interest way higher um yeah i think i think that's one that could easily be done so we'll move on to my one again i i pretty much agree with yours though I don't necessarily see a way that it's it's coming sometime soon um, and mine to reduce the amount of football that these players are playing is the Premier League needs to go down to 18 teams the French League is doing it or just done it uh, the German League has done it so at some point we will no longer be competitive unless we also make this move um, and then the top seven or however many teams we have qualify for Europe should compete in the Carabao Cup, the Carling Cup, the Milk Cup, whatever that competition means to you, in alternate years. So if you qualify for Europe, only every two years should you then be in the Carabao Cup and it should go 
for example, one year it's the first, third, fifth, seventh, and then the other year it's the second, the fourth, the sixth, the eighth, because you can't just take all of the big teams out of the EFL Cup because otherwise you're significantly taking away the glory of winning it. You're significantly hurting teams when they don't get to play the big teams. However, if you do this alternate year system, then you actually have quite a fun way that mixes up the winners of your domestic cup competitions quite regularly. And yeah, it it feels fresh once every two years, puts a bit more prestige on winning it. If you are one of those big clubs, you'll probably have more different clubs win it because they have to win fewer games against the big sides. Whereas often when we get to the semi-final stage, it's pretty much four of the top eight in the Premier League anyway. So it's a bit boring. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good way to cut down some of the football because, as I say, it's only getting worse. You're getting an extended World Cup, you're getting an extended World Club Cup, and player quality and player safety need to take like paramount importance. Of Premier League sides, three of them at the minute have more than ten injuries. That is not safe. Players are being put to their absolute most. And I would like to see this just come in to keep things a bit more interesting. Give Spurs a chance of winning something. Oh, now you got the crux of what the problem is. You just want to win a trophy. Um, I actually disagree with these points. I, I I can see why the leagues that you've mentioned have reduced the amount of teams in it just based on, you know, we talk about the Premier League being the best league in the world because anybody can beat anybody. I think if you look at it this season, it's a particularly poor example of that because you do have the likes of Luton and Sheffield United who could be two of the weakest teams to ever be in the Premier League. But then you say that, you know, it took Tottenham to the last few seconds to beat Sheffield United a few few weeks ago. Uh, City, again, struggled against Sheffield United, so I don't think they're as big of a, a rollover as we expected them to be. Um, but I don't think the Premier League needs to go down to 18 teams I'll be sort of going backwards for me. Uh, and I think there's more than enough revenue as well to have 20 teams in there. I, I don't know, that's not one of your arguments, but it's just an, an additional statement that I'm throwing in there. On top of that, around the EFL, you sort of lost me um, with the alternative years thing. I don't really know what you were getting at, but I think I understand what you were maybe getting at in terms of the clubs that qualify for Europe to decrease their workload you know, maybe they just aren't in the EFL Cup for the season. So the top seven teams aren't in it for the season after because they're going to be playing Europe, you know, European football. That means that you take them out of one cup, cup competition to reduce the amount of games that they have for that season. And then you increase the likelihood of alternative winners on an annual basis because the team that wins the EFL Cup automatically get a Europa League spot, I think it is still. So it means that, yes they're going to win it, but they're not going to be in it next year. And it just gives more and more alternative uh, winners on an annual basis, which means it'll probably increase the involvement, the enthusiasm and the uh, the levels of respect provided to the League Cup that's dropped off significantly in recent years. So if that's what you're getting at, then I understand that point and completely understand and completely agree. But I don't think we need to... It was not. Re- okay, well, I think my point's better. Then uh, if that's the I, case... I, See, I don't, because I considered that as an option. If you qualify for Europe, you don't qualify for the EFL Cup. But to say that the level of respect, the level of competition would go up if you didn't have European teams in it. But to say the level of respect would is almost insulting, because what would happen is you'd get more 
Man United, Chelsea-esque teams who almost as a reward for having a historically bad season one year then go into the EFL Cup as overwhelming favourites when they have 300 million to turn it around and they've done everything to make sure they don't have a season as bad again. So you'll have a bit more of that happen. And also the issue is, is like, does does the win feel hollow when you've just taken out the huge teams to win it? Like, yes, it does. However, by doing the alternate year thing, you somewhat save legs. And actually, that is one of the biggest issues with football. It's not necessarily that you have lots of football in one year. Players can cope with that. Rodri's actually said something similar to that. It's the year after, because you've played so much football, that Man City looked down on their seat side last year after winning the treble and being in so many games. Liverpool were down. And it was largely the first half of last season after nearly at one point potentially doing a quadruple. And it's because it's so hard to do two long seasons, season after season. So this is like, this could almost be phase one of this as well. Maybe you do get to a future where the top seven or whoever gets into Europe never compete. But for now, do alternate years and you're potentially saving top clubs five games every two years just with that change which i think needs to happen because fifa aren't going to do it the champions league's getting extended as well soon so like uefa and fifa are not doing this for you you've got to take something into your own hands yeah i mean i get it but i also still think that what i'm saying in terms of you know you talk about city last season immediately it would be the point that city right you won the treble you've finished top seven you're not in the the League Cup this year, so use that midweek slot to take a break. But what I mean by the level of respect, it means that you know you won't have the likes of a West Ham or an Aston Villa playing weekend teams, um, and even you know I don't think the level of respect is there for the bigger clubs because they don't play the big players a lot of the time in the League Cup. They play the second string, they play the kids, and that's not overly detrimental from my opinion I, I i like to see the second string play and i like to see the opportunities given but they don't show the respect that a major cup competition should receive until it gets to about the semi-final stage because like you said they're competing on all fronts and they're trying to conserve energy from the bigger stars so from my opinion take them out of it provide more opportunity for the other teams to win and um, increase the competitiveness of the league cup maybe move it back to millennium stadium as well it's just a random statement that I'm throwing in there, but I always liked it there. Hmm. Yeah, sounds like you might not get it. So, take me on to your next spicy take, please. Yeah, next one, in staying with international football, following my last point. You'll have more of an opinion on this than I, than I probably do or should have, but I will anyway. Um, baffles me that, you know, everyone's talking about Southgate leaving this summer after the Euros and talking about who's going to take over and everyone being mentioned as English. The next England, England manager does not need to be English in my perspective or my opinion. I think they can learn from the mistakes that they made previously, especially with Capello around not understanding the English culture, not understanding the game within England. But I mean, immediately you look at likes of you know Serena Vigman and the success she's had with the women's team. Even if you look at youth level, Steve Cooper is Welsh. I mean, but he's had success with England. So you don't need to be English to be the next England manager, is my point. And if they do that, they broaden the widen the net 
broaden the opportunity to get a top class manager to come in and take the role and sort of hopefully for you achieve more with that manager because I feel like the England squad that you have today has you know they they can learn a lot from what Southgate's done in terms of the camaraderie and the bringing them together but in terms of performances at top tournaments I think they've underachieved and I think that's because you hired a manager that wasn't ready for that job or or potentially was never going to be ready for that job yeah I mean the the Southgate hate is uh is a John special at this point I I do agree I've never really understood why it has to be an Englishman um I think you've got to look at you basically got to look as you would as a club manager what your current talent pool is across the next two and the next four years and you've got to try and find somebody who aligns with that talent pool at certain times in my life I have thought Jose Mourinho could do a good job for tournament England I don't think he suits the current crop of players and there's many there's many managers who would who would be excited about it yeah don't have to be English the only thing I would say is that I do think that they have to speak good English so for example Thomas Frank would work yeah perfect example someone who's managed in the Premier League who understands what it's like to manage within England you know understand how the game works here understand how the players act here I think that's one of the biggest downfalls of Capello was that he was coming in completely fresh with zero understanding or zero being around of English players. The only, obviously, he had managed Beckham at Real Madrid just before that, but, you know, even coming in, taking away ketchup, doing all this other stuff that annoyed the players, not giving players time away after the wives had had babies and stuff like that. I mean, he didn't. Where he fell down, Southgate would absolutely have risen um, with that group of players, but yeah. I think we're in agreement. They don't need to be English, but having a good understanding of the English game and culture would be massively beneficial. And I think it's easy for me to say it because I'm a Republic of Ireland fan and uh, half of our club, half of our team is English. And, you know, the success that we've had in recent years with Jack Charlton and Giovanni Trapattoni, I, I just don't understand the whole has to be an English manager push. Yeah, fair. And to be honest, John, I think you're having the mango and lime equivalent at Nando's of takes at this point. I think we're going to have to do a part two to this episode and really get you to step on your controversy hat. Okay, well, let's let's hear your next one. Okay, yeah, I'm going spicy. Half of this you've seen, half I didn't want to put in there because you'd have been furious all week. But Real Madrid 14-17, to obviously the triple Champions League winning Real Madrid is better than the 2002 Real Madrid, and it's not even close. And I will go one further and say Brazilian Ronaldo is the most overrated footballer of all time because he had an unbelievable one, two year peak. So did Michael Owen. You're as Chris. So did Michael Owen. No, Don't get me Chris. wrong, he was absolutely unbelievable, but quite frankly, he was actually overweight at Real Madrid. His record does not stand nearly to that as someone like CR7. And nostalgia ball, given the old Real Madrid of 2002, what did they get? One league title? I think that Galacticos unit from about 2001 to 2006. Like That is actually pathetic. It's as good as the current Liverpool side under Klopp, who are never going to go down in history because they'll always go down in history as second best. 
So yeah, that Galacticos team is heavily, heavily overrated. I think the 14-17 to 17 Real Madrid is underrated because they were at a time when Barcelona were very, very good as well. But yeah, essentially, that is my take that, yeah, the two, the two defining eras of Real Madrid in our lifetime, one is so far better than the other because I think three back-to-back Champions Leagues Bear in mind when they did it, a back-to-back Champions League had never been done, and it's not been done since. I think it will take a very long time. It's generational, that achievement. That is 100 years it will take for that to happen again, if it even does then. 2002 lot were nothing like close to that. And yeah, Brazilian Ronaldo has got blood on his hands. And ketchup from lots and lots of chips. Uh. So I'll address the first point. I completely agree with the first point. I think the uh, the Real Madrid team between 2014 and 17, I think it was, um, unbelievable. I think if you look at the amount of Champions League, the likes of Modric, Cruz, Casemiro, Navas, even like any of those players that you think of, especially Cruz. I mean, Cruz and Modric will go down as in the future as probably two of the most underrated players that just don't get talked about anywhere near enough in regards to what they've won in their career. And I do also agree that I think the Galacticos were more of a a marketing story than a good conceptual footballing team. I think even if you look past, you know, the big names of Ronaldo, Zidane, you look at Makaleli, you know, they had serious players, but they just couldn't get consistency in terms of the managers that they had at that time as well. And, um, getting the best out of those players. Your your second point, um, you're an absolute disgrace and you should never speak ill of Ronaldo, the real Ronaldo ever again. If one of my points was gonna be if if Ronaldo didn't have the injury record he had, he would have went down as the greatest of all time. And I, I actually stand by that. He's one of the most yeah, gifted players of all time. If... And to hear him called overrated is one of the worst footballing takes I've ever heard. If. If I didn't have a third leg, I might have made it as a footballer. But, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda. <laughs> the extent that Inter Milan alone, what he did in the World Cups, disgraceful. Absolutely horrendous take. Yeah. That's, that's the worst of the lot. And if that's... That's that's a booby style. That's a booby level take on football. Is just... that Ronaldo is overrated. Unfortunately, no. And the thing is, I'm saying he's overrated because of the bar, because of numb nuts like you who go, oh, he could have been the best ever. Like Suarez, <laughs> Suarez, I genuinely think has had a better career than Ronaldo, Brazilian Ronaldo. I think, um, yeah, based on what they've actually achieved and what they genuinely were able to do out on the pitch. I think Brazilian Ronaldo has probably had higher highs, but look how many players were like ravaged by injury and this actually it's well linked to the Galacticos point because if I gave you sheets of players on paper and you I asked you who you were taking you go the Cafus the Carlos you go the Zidane you go the Brazilian Ronaldo the Figo like there's name and glorification of the old when actually um for example there's a there's certainly a strong debate to be had that Modric is Real Madrid career at least has been as good as Zidane's so yeah I think there's there's plenty of like hot takes leathered in some of that but yeah I do think 
our eyes go back and look at the game when there wasn't as many stats involved in it. Like you kind of just analysed by looking at what you saw out on the pitch. There was maybe more artistry. And I think that's part of the draw with um, Brazilian Ronaldo. But put almost any man next to Cristiano Ronaldo. And Brazilian Ronaldo, 164 games, 116 goals uh, in La Liga. Cristiano, 292 games. 311 goals so he's going at what one and a bit per game Brazilian Ronaldo is going at about 0.65 0.7 and Cristiano didn't play as a conventional striker for a lot of that time but the one thing part of the reason I think he's one of the more overrated players ever is his Champions League record Brazilian Ronaldo has got 14 goals I think Rodrigo Gaes has already passed it at 21 I know the era is different. I know it was maybe a bit more competitive, but there are plenty more players of Ronaldo's era that he should not be considered the best striker of his era, never mind, um, yeah, one of the best strikers ever. Who, who's the best striker of his era, then? Raul Raul's had a better career. No, Raul's top class. Like, but it's... It, oh. I actually, actually don't. I just don't think it's a point that deserves arguing with because it's it's he's he's just not he's just not overrated. To say that he didn't get the most out of his career, you could say absolutely. To say that you know injuries held him back or maybe his lack of professionalism, maybe in terms of yes, you're right. Especially when he got the AC Milan, he was he was overweight. But to say that he was overrated is absolutely outrageous. I think the problem is, is that in the categorizations of the best ever, and it's so popular to not say Messi or Ronaldo, particularly these days, as their careers unwind, their peaks have been so ridiculously long and so ridiculously good. It kind of shits on everyone else's around them. Um, yeah, my I, I, player, I don't think I don't think you could argue with it has to be one of Messi or Ronaldo. I don't think my, there's an argument for anybody else. My favorite player ever is Ronaldinho but yeah. if you look at how good he was actually good for what five years it and even then not all of those necessarily at the peak it's absolutely uh done over yeah Ronald, Ronaldo's same boat but it's absolutely done over by those two modern day greats and um Ronaldo Nazario Brazilian Ronaldo is a glorified caca you're disgrace. <laughs> I mean, you're actually a disgrace. It was a way more defensive style of play back then in terms of football. And to say he only did it, he did it two years at PSV, a year at Barcelona. Oh, PSV. We're, we're counting. Well, well, if oh, we're talking about God. Suarez, we're talking about oh. Suarez here. You're going to count the Ajax years as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? Let's let's bring Cody Hakpo into the conversation whilst we're at it. Well, whenever you've scored, whenever you scored forty-two goals and forty-six appearances for PSV, then absolutely he gets brought into it. Then he went to Barcelona, scored thirty-four and thirty-seven. Then he went to Inter Milan in a very competitive Serie A at that time. Got a bad injury, came back from it. Went to Real Madrid, banged them in there, banged them in for Brazil. Okay, yeah, perfect. Let's get Vincent Janssen up for his record in Holland, and then we'll get uh, Chiro Immobile <laughs> for his record in Italy. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Your your argument, I can't. Do you know what it is? I know you're doing this for TikTok. Put it on TikTok. Take the slandering because I'm not being part of it. Yeah, no, it's just like, it's an absolute disgrace that he is considered 
so many people this is one of the things is so many people players of that era will still consider him one of the best ever and highest of highs perhaps but very little longevity in it and yeah as I say he was a lead player in a Real Madrid team that is one of the most overrated ever and yeah I just I don't think he should go he should have his place quite where he has his place as I mentioned I think Suarez has had a better career and there's arguments for even other players of the time Ibrahimovic has had a better career Eto you could argue he's had a better career um so yeah I, I I think the Suarez for versus Ronaldo that would be an incredible debate but I think those two are are top 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 level strikers um that you could put into most teams and I think then everybody else you've mentioned is just a level below yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that one myself, but, you know, we've got to keep things spicy, John. Old uh, lemon and herb over there. Okay, yeah, hit that, me. That level of spice near me, me vomit, though. That was horrendous. Um, hit me with your next pick. Sticking in with the Brazilian theme, I started thinking about underrated players, and um, I was going to go for the lemon and herb. Taste again that Michael Carrick is the most underrated footballer in Premier League history, but I didn't. Because I, I genuinely, I believe it, but I don't, I really do believe that Gilberto Silva is the most underrated player in Premier League history. And if you look into his career, realistically, that 2002 World Cup, he won it as a Atletico Mineiro uh, midfielder before moving to Arsenal. Even at Arsenal, he had some of the best performances as a number six in Premier League history and then went to Panathinaikos. After that, he made 40 or yeah, 40 caps after the age of 30 for Brazil. I think he was the platform that allowed the Arsenal train to take off when it came to the Invincibles. Um, I think one of the Brazilian outlets, when it came to 2002, said that he carried the piano for Ronaldo and Rivaldo to play their tunes on. And I think it just sums him up perfectly. A player that doesn't get the recognition he deserves. A player that, if you talk about the Invincibles, is probably the seventh, eighth, ninth player mentioned on that list. And he allowed everybody else to go and excel during those years that you know it's probably at the start of our you know probably definitely the start of your you know footballing memory is the invincibles you think about you know arsenal united rivalries back then gilberto silva never gets to mention alongside schools Vieira, uh kane anyone else you want to mention gilberto silva should be at the top of that list as well in regards to the highest of highs in terms of his performances in premier league football and it's just a, an incredibly underrated footballer yeah, fantastic player. I think he, yeah, doesn't get the love in in these shores anyway. It'd be interesting to know how, what Brazilians think of him, but someone like Carrick does get a lot of that love now, uh, despite the defensive midfielder potentially being, well, definitely being underrated earlier in the era. You only have to look at the fact that that Galacticos team I've just slammed sold Claude Makélélé. And then they realised the whole thing didn't work without him. So, hmm. yeah, Gilberto Silva, awesome player, part of two of the best sides in history, if you're counting the uh, Brazilian World Cup team and then you're counting the Arsenal Invincibles. Really solid player. Unfussy. I think that was an uncomplicated. That is where he's not kind of like necessarily got a huge legacy, but absolutely should because, yeah, yeah uncomplicated doesn't necessarily sell shirts but it does help you underpin fantastic teams. 
Yeah, I mean, even if you think about the 2002 team, the midfield of Gilberto Silva and Cleberton, you know, both made the move to the Premier League that summer and all the talk was on Cleberton. And then you started to see them playing and their their teams that they played that they signed for that summer. And it just became very, very evident very, very quickly who was the real midfielder out of those two and who made that Brazilian team tick. Yeah, and um, to be honest, I'm just glad to have inspired you in our underrated 11 episode with my shout of Arturo Vidal, who, by the way, I found this out later, but he basically hadn't not won a league title. I think this year might be the first time he doesn't win a league title in like 16 years or something absolutely ridiculous because you got the five Juve ones, you got the Barca, you got the three Bayern. Um, he won it in Brazil last year. He just He's on some incredible incredible streak but yes he's had some shine on the podcast so it's nice for Gilberto Silva to get some and yeah I mean the fact that he was able to really help that team keep clean sheets when they had such a useless oaf up top is really good going the Brazilian one that is yeah disgraceful I'm just talking about the the underrated 11 if you haven't listened to that podcast do go back it's actually just while I was talking I remember that realistically i don't think we included busquets in that team and he is technically still playing um which is a sin in itself that we haven't got him in there but let's move on to your next point hopefully it's not as nauseating as the last point nice well it's time to blast the podcast guys that's our new slogan here at over the top football we want everyone to share this football podcast with someone who you think will enjoy it because yeah like we say it's great debate we enjoy doing it and the more fans the more listens we get the more output of this we'll be able to do and i'm saying that because this next hot spicy take is coming at you maybe a bit of a surprise to a lot of people however i do think it will be true using a bit of predictive analytics in this as well um but john stones will finish with a better career than john terry now They both have a Champions League. They both have five league titles. Terry has five FA Cups. I think Stones only has two, but Stones has all the Carabaos. Stones now also has the legacy of the treble and being quite possibly the best player in that final as they won the crowning Champions League. Stones for England has been in a Euros final, a World Cup semi. He'll obviously get a couple more chances at that, given that he's 29, maybe 30. Um, So, yeah, he'll get another bite of the cherry to do way more than Terry ever did with England, which was never get past a quarterfinal stage. John Terry is the better player and will go down in many people's best Premier League 11s of all time, for example. However, Jonathan Stones, with a few years left in the tank, has pretty much matched him in his career. And I think will match him, will go past him, will now enter more of his leadership era. And yeah, essentially, I'd rather be a Stones than a Terry. Yeah. So, I mean, this argument is purely based on the amount of trophies won and sort of international success. Is that right? It's it's done on career, right? So I've heard a lot of people thus far in their career say they'd rather be a Jamie Vardy than a Harry Kane because, yeah, Vardy's got an FA Cup, a Premier League. I think, he, yeah, he's won promotion for teams before. Like Harry Kane, for as brilliant a career as he's had and he's got some personal medals, they don't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things. It's all about the team achievements, the kind of glory, the celebration of those. So, yeah, 
a large part of it is trophy cabinet, but that's a little bit boring just because the numbers literally show that John Stones is caught up to Terry, if not gone past him in certain areas. So it's more when I look back on my career, whose career would I rather had? And yeah, like I say, I think John Terry is a better player, but I think John Stones deserves to be involved in a conversation with how good John Terry is. But I would rather have had his career, yeah, for all of the above. No, I mean, it, it's it's tough to argue with, but it is an interesting point. I mean, I, I immediately, like many people probably are like, no, because it's John Terry and he's probably the best defender in Premier League history. And for me, the the level of involvement in the success that he brought to the team, for me, I, I'm struggling to get past because I think you think about the Chelsea team, you think obviously John Terry came through the youth ranks of Chelsea and then became one of the most important members of that Chelsea team from start to finish in regards to their success and being the captain of that team as well sort of pushes it beyond. So if someone said to me, we'd rather come through at your boyhood club, be one of the most important players, be the captain, lead them to all this success from being, you know, a sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh place team to being, you know, European champions, multiple FA Cups, multiple Premier Leagues. I I would personally prefer that career rather than being someone that, you know, has got that recognition for maybe two seasons. Ah, I thought you might say this. So I've come with a few more points to this. <laughs> iconic, iconic moments. John Terry has shagging a player's ex-wife. He has getting a tunnel created for him on his last game as he went off the pitch on 16 oh, no, like that, minutes. That was, that was horrendous. Also then has, yeah. um, wearing his club's shirt as he didn't participate in a Champions League final and then came onto the pitch after they won. Yeah. Jonathan Stones has goal line clearance that won them the Premier League title by one point and could not have been like closer. It was also one of the first times and most iconic times VAR yeah. and goal line technology has been used. As I said earlier, he was player of the match in the Champions League final. Um, so yeah, obviously huge moment as well. It was Manchester City's first Champions League in their history. So great elements of that too. So yeah, I think... In a weird I mean, way if, as well, John Stones also has some higher highs. I mean, you're, you're highlighting Terry's downfalls, which are fair and should be highlighted and are all accurate. But you're also, I mean, the goal line clearance, you're saying they won the point, they won the, the league by one point and probably one centimetre as well. And it was an unbelievable clearance, even if it was against Liverpool. What took it away for me was going into the replay room after the game and celebrating it. Like, you know, I'm just not about that. And dressing up on a golf course, I can't remember what outfit he had on whenever they won the league. I don't know. I'm just mentioning further negatives, but I'm just sort of saying, you know, the level of involvement that Terry had in that Chelsea team. Whenever you think about that Chelsea era, the first two names that you think of are Terry and Lampard. Whenever you think about City in this era, you're going to be talking about Haaland, De Bruyne, Diaz. Stones is not going to be one of the first two names that come to your mind. Don't throw stones in glass houses, they say. <laughs> and they also say, keep stones in iconic Premier League and Champions League 11s. Essentially. Genuine question, right, I think. We'll get past the point. I don't think we're going to agree. For me, Terry's probably number one 
centre half in Premier League history. Whenever Stones does retire, you know, if he retires at the end of the season, for example, which he won't do, but if he does, does he make the top ten? What if he retired at the end of this season? Yeah. Quite probably just about, I think, tenth. Fair enough. I mean that that it also points to another episode that we will have around, you know, the all time eleven that we think about. But yeah, it's probably one to think about whether he would make it, especially if you're talk looking at City centre halves alone in recent years. Does does Diaz go in above him? Even though uh, he's still very, very young. Yeah, again, I, I said, definitely does. I said it. Yeah, it's a good point. I said at the start of this episode, this was a bit of a at the start of this take. Even it was a bit of a predictive one. You've got to kind of rely on another couple of years of John Stones, and then I think a lot more people would agree with me. Because yeah, you actually make a valid point. I think company. I don't think Ruben Diaz does yet, despite I think having a better last year and a bit or whatever um i do think company does but then yeah i'm thinking like a ferdinand a vidic i'm thinking a few like chelsea players potentially but yeah I, he's got to be involved right up there which i think was why this one was such an interesting comparison because you have a player who is a few removed from how good John Terry is however yeah like I say I think he's genuinely had a better career so yeah let's keep the listeners on their toes and hit me with another spicy spicy take please yeah my one I have in West Ham but I think you could replace West Ham with Aston Villa Newcastle Everton Celtic Rangers but just for the statement alone I have that West Ham are a bigger club than PSG and like I said, you could have had Villa, Newcastle, Everton, Celtic, Rangers. But, you know, you look at the players that they have and have had in recent years, you know, Mbappe, Neymar, Messi, Slatan, Thiago Silva, Dani Alves, David Beckham. Just don't care. They're just not a big club yet, in my opinion. PSG, Jordan sponsorship, you know, should make them massive globally in terms of commercially and the amount of kids you see running about in PSG tops but i just don't care not a big club um 40 official trophies don't care 11 league titles for me they're just not a big club yet and a lot of football fans in my perspective or my opinion sorry just will probably agree that Liga on trophies just equate to zero in today's footballing terms and um all those clubs that I've mentioned are bigger clubs and will be for the foreseeable future. I actually didn't know when Theo Baker joined the podcast and kidnapped and replaced John because, John, that is quite possibly the most disgraceful take. That is worse than Brazilian Ronaldo. I don't know what you're trying to do. I have been to Paris Saint-Germain Stadium. I've watched a game. Their fan base is absolutely phenomenal. It's right up there with any English club. So you've got that, you've got fan base, you've got trophies, as you say. You can't just disregard League and when their teams regularly put the beaters on our best teams. I mean, Lons, who at the time were 13th, beat Arsenal a few weeks back. So yeah, it's whilst it's not competitive per se, just because of the money involved, has the Premier League been that competitive? Oh, Liverpool got close a couple of times. Um, no, it's also been similarly dis- uncompetitive. So yeah, I think... To say that Paris Saint-Germain are not as big as Everton is an absolute disgrace. Obviously, they even got to the Champions League final 
only what three seasons ago it's not that long ago and we know that really big clubs like PSG like Tottenham get to the final of Champions Leagues but don't necessarily <laughs> win them so yeah essentially just have a word with yourself pal because this is a disgraceful take if PSG aren't a big club then only eight clubs are big clubs in well, who's the eight? Manchester United Real Madrid Liverpool, Tottenham, <laughs> Real, Barca, and Juventus, and Inter Milan. Mm. No, that's fair enough. I just don't think they're a big club. Uh, honestly, I, I, genu- I genuinely believe I, Celtic, Celtic and Rangers are bigger clubs than PSG. No, they're just not. They're not. If you go to a game and you see the fan base absolutely bouncing off their nut because... Adrian Rabio or whoever their players were when I went had scored a goal then yeah you'll see at least the same the same fans that boo their boo their players constantly booed yeah. Messi last year booed Neymar since he's joined that's Real Madrid though like that's that actually if anything has confirmed your ludicrous point and that's huge club mentality <laughs> It simply isn't. No one cares. No one cares about PSG. There's a shop open in London on what, Bond Street, Oxford Street, whatever it is. It'll be closed in six months because no one cares. What's what is the shop? Sorry, Everton too. <laughs> PSG, the PSG store. It'll be gone oh, very quickly. Didn't even know. Didn't even know. Yeah, exactly. I'm my opinion. My take. Villa, Newcastle, Everton, Celtic, Rangers. There's a long list of other clubs uh, are bigger than PSG. Like it's it's cute of you to play troll, but yeah, Everton is absolutely where you draw the line. Everton, who have not won a trophy since nineteen ninety five, has got to be where you draw the line on that because that is disgraceful. Everton historically, Everton or Everton are are a way bigger club than PSG. PSG, the most successful league French team of all time. Yes. Okay. Well. Look, you know they say that there's no point in arguing with an idiot because unfortunately <laughs> you'll be dragged down to that level. I'm sure you don't actually believe this and you're just somewhat enjoying yourself, causing a bit of ruckus. But I don't even know any PSG fans who you know who you'll be winding up with this. This could have been much better with Man United, perhaps. No, because I'd be lying. I, like, I genuinely do believe those clubs are bigger historical clubs than PSG. Okay. Well, you've moved out of the uh, lemon and herb, so well done for you to that. <laughs> However, I think you've wandered down into the fact that you've had... you brought in a bottle of vodka with you to the Nando's. You've been using the free refills on the fizzy drinks and you've s- somehow managed to smash the full bottle of vodka, I think. Because, uh, yeah, you certainly... I mean, we're, we're talking about... We're talking about, right, PSG of 11... French leagues. I mean, you're talking about Everton, for example. That's the one you're really zoning in on. They have nine, five FA Cups, one European Winners' Cup. There's a long list of trophies among all them clubs. You're talking about Celtic. Celtic and Rangers have way more trophies than than PSG, if that's what you're talking about. Villa have won a European Cup. There's the there. It's not even just success. They're just, in my opinion, historically as well, the history that these clubs have. They're bigger clubs. We're not going to agree. 
I'm keen to get people's th- this is this is probably going to be the most engagement we get from listeners in regards to comments of disagreeing agreeing with different points that we've made so we'll let uh, I'm very very keen to see the comments but that's my take on it <clears throat> yeah I don't know don't agree with this point you can uh you can keep it spicy I think. <laughs> fair enough well let me hear your last point though Shall I? Uh, I'll, I'll go on to our final, our final hot take of the pod. Shall I? Which is Kevin De Bruyne is the best Premier League midfielder of all time. So he's a five-time winner. Uh, he currently already sits fourth in assists, and he's not far behind. I think he's like one or two behind Rooney, and he's not far behind third as well. So he'll almost definitely finish second for assists in the Premier League in all time. So yeah, absolutely class midfielder. I think he puts in a ball into the box better than almost anyone. I think his defensive work is actually really underrated. I think his engine is up there with some of the best midfielders I've ever seen. I think his strength is super underrated as well. Silkiness on the ball. Uh, Got quite a few goals as well. He's got 64 Premier League goals to date as well. So yeah, he's just an unbelievably classy operator. And he's one of those few players he's he is Gerard-esque but Gerard with an actual Premier League title cabinet where he can control a game himself like a Scholes-esque and many players kind of look at him as a kind of benchmark controller but he's also got all the abilities to go grab a game by the scruff of the neck with assists with goals obviously he's playing in an incredibly good Manchester City team but incredible player Some of the wins kind of outside the Premier League, I think, add to your legacy as well. So obviously being able to do it now in the Champions League, having done it in Carabao Cups, ETC. And yeah, I think a sensational player who will only properly appreciate when he retires. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually difficult to argue with that point. I think that as a Liverpool fan, I'll never agree with it, but I understand it. Um... My point would be, you know, if you put Gerard in that city team, he'd be the best undoubtedly. But again, I completely understand it. And um, I think he will go down as one of the greats, if not the greatest Premier League midfielder of all time. So I think it's very, very difficult to... I think everyone talks about Gerard Lampard's goals, but I think De Bruyne is in that conversation now. And especially when he does retire, there'll be more people ranking him one or two, depending on who you support. Yeah, and these debates are class because obviously the fan bases have biases which show... Um, it's evident you... as if, right now. Yeah, exactly. The fact that you've said that Everton are a bigger club than PSG just wore, that's really showing your secret Everton colours. You're a <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a Jamie Carragher. But yeah, I think uh, De Bruyne will certainly go down as, yeah, potentially for his time in the Premier League, the Premier League's best midfielder. Obviously, I do think there's other midfielders who have played in the Premier League who've probably hit some higher highs. I think you look at Gareth Bale, you look at Luka Modric. I think there's uh, yeah, there's plenty of players who potentially have had better careers. But yeah, I do think he is a sensational footballer and yeah, deserves to be put amongst that pedigree. Fair, fair point. Would you like to wrap things up, Rob? I would absolutely love to. 
So that has been our episode on Spicy Takes. We've got some really good ones coming. For Manchester United fans, we've got a How to Fix Manchester United. I also want to give a shout out to our fan, Rich Clough, who is currently hiking the west coast of the US. Go well, Rich. We appreciate your feedback on the episodes and the music. We'll also put a link to the charity he's raising money for in the description of this episode because I know they've done some great work and saved his dad out when he was hiking as well. So thank you to everyone who listens at home. And yes, make sure you follow us on TikTok. If you love these episodes, we'll be doing our best to put out one a week. And please do sub with notifications on because even if you don't have time, it's the best way to be notified about episodes. It's the best way for us to increase our listenership. So that will massively help. And yeah, John, fill me in. What are you excited about that's to come? Quite a lot. I, I, I love the all-time 11 podcast. We're going to be continuing on with that. I'm just so excited to get back to club football, even if it's for a month, get further into the European game, see if anybody stands out as potential Champions League Europa League winners and get back to doing this more regularly. Enjoyed that. Even if we disagreed on some of the points, it's probably good for listeners and uh, very very keen to understand what people think about rtx agree disagree please do comment please do follow us on socials leave your likes um get engaged get involved get engaged and uh, and yeah as you've sort of touched upon best luck to rich appreciate the listen and, uh, and good luck with everything you're doing out there perfect we've been over the top football see you soon